Thanks for being in the Lord's house this morning. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. Book of Beginnings. Y'all say a prayer for Jacob. He's not feeling the best this morning. He called me and asked if I had a, a sermon prepared. I said, well, we've already got the Word of God, and you're supposed to study to show yourselves approved unto God, right? So always be ready in season and out of season. And thankful for the opportunity to be with you guys. And I just want to start off by saying thank you for letting us be part of your congregation. It's such a joy to be here. I know we haven't been here very long, but you have really opened up your hearts to us, received myself and my family, and we're just overwhelmed with the love that you guys have shown us, and we're so thankful to be able to be here in this body of believers. So Genesis 15, the Word of God says in verse 1, And after these things, the Word of the Lord came unto Abram, in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. But after what thing? So in order to properly interpret any passage of Scripture, we need to know the context, don't we? So after what things? After these things. So what had happened? What events had transpired? Well, going back to the beginning of Abraham, where we uh, meet him in chapter 11, chapter 12, he was a pagan. According to the book of Joshua, he worshipped the moon god, and he lived in the city of Ur of the Chaldeans. And a lot of archaeologists, fun fact, think that hot tubs were invented in Ur of the Chaldees because they actually had running water back then. It was a huge metropolitan area, very sophisticated people, very rich and wealthy people. But God spoke to Abram and said, Get you out of the land of your fathers, and to the land that I will show you, didn't even know where he was going. And he said, I will make you a great name, a great nation, didn't even have any children. But he said, go to the land I'll show you. And I promise that through your seed, all of the earth will be blessed. So what does Abram do? He, up, he leaves everything behind, his wealth, his riches, everything he's ever known. He leaves Hot Tub City and he goes to the land He's never been to before. He travels into the land of Canaan. He takes a step of faith. And along with him is a man by the name of Lot. Lot is known as a righteous man thanks to the apostle Peter. But if he hadn't wrote that, we would have written him off as a sinner. Lot was not a spiritual man like Abram. And he lived in the city of Sodom. Known for their um, sexual immorality. Particularly their homosexuality. And the Bible says that his righteous soul was vexed day by day by the things and the deeds that he saw. But his people had rebelled. And there were four mighty kings who rose up and took Lot and his family and the king of Sodom and the whole city captive. And so what does Abram do? Abram and his ragtag group of people, 318 men, go after these four kings and they have a great victory. And they rescue Lot. And they rescue the king of Sodom and they rescue all these other kingdoms. And then the king of Sodom says, Here, Abram, I'll give you all types of wealth and riches because you have come to our rescue. You've rescued us. You've rescued your nephew. Abram refuses. He says, I won't take even a shoe latchet from you. Lest you should say that you have made Abram rich. 
Seemed like a poor decision, didn't it? Abram, there's wealth, there's possessions, there's riches, there's fame, and you're turning it all away, trusting in the Lord to provide for you. That's what had happened. So he said no to the wealth of the king of Sodom. Also, think about this. He made four or five kings very angry. He defeated them. So what did that mean? What did that spell out for Abram? That spelled fear. These guys would be out for revenge, wouldn't they? And so the Lord had to speak to Abram and said, Don't be afraid, Abram. I know you've ticked these guys off. I know you've made um, enemies out of mighty kings with huge armies and, and weapons and chariots. Now you've said no to the possessions and the prosperity of Sodom. But I don't want you to be afraid. The word of the Lord came to Abram. That's the first time that this phrase is used in Scripture. The word of the Lord, and it will occur over 100 times more. The word of the Lord. How does God speak to us today? You say, I wish God would speak to me. How does He speak to us today? By the Word of the Lord. By the book you hold in your hand. That is God speaking to you. That is the Word of the Lord to you. And then He says, fear not. Fear not. First time this phrase is uttered in Scripture. There's a reason why Genesis is called the book of beginnings. It has a lot of first in it. And it's repeated over 300 times in Scripture, over and over again. The angel said to the flock of shepherds, Fear not. Jesus said, Fear not to a gang of seasick disciples. The angel said to a disheartened Paul in the book of Acts, Fear not. There's a reason why the child of God does not have to live in fear. Why is that? Because He is our shield. He is our exceeding great reward. Now think about this. Abram is living in a place in the land of Canaan he had never been to before. God promised him children. He don't have any children yet. No doubt he can see Lot and his children that he rescued and he begins to have emotions well up inside of him. God, you promised me that I would have children and they're not here. What's going on, God? So many people are looking for satisfaction in relationships, aren't they? I thought I would be married before now. Or I thought I would have children. Or I thought this job would come through. Or, God, where's it at? It doesn't seem like you're coming through and fear begins to well up inside of us. Doubts and negative emotions begin to rise up. No doubt he was thinking, Abraham, what did I do? Man, what did you do? You had Sodom was trying to give you riches and wealth and you turned it away. Possessions, materialism that just plagues our society. And whenever the job just doesn't work out or we lose the job or we don't get the promotion, we begin to fear, don't we? We begin to ask questions. Why didn't I get promoted? Why, didn't, why don't I succeed like this other person? We begin to become doubtful and doubt the goodness of God, don't we? Fear begins to well up within us. And he also feared for his own family's safety. These kings, like I said, were going to be after him. They would want revenge. But God said, hey, don't fear. You know, if you've taken any psychology classes in college, you know that these are the three things that faced Abraham. The need for protection, the need for provision or possessions, and the need for posterity or relationships. And it looked like it wasn't going so well in all of these areas for Abraham. 
Until God steps in and He says, Abraham, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am. Because of who He is. Listen, because of who He is. It doesn't matter if we get the promotion or the job. He's going to be our supplier. He's going to be the one who provides for us. It doesn't matter what report the doctor gives to us. Why? Because He is our healer. He's our provider. It doesn't matter if we get that relationship or not. Why? Because we have someone who loves us more than any human being ever could. Now, God surely understands that we need these things and we desire these things. But what is God saying to us? The same thing He's saying to Abraham. Listen, all these things you're worried about, you're going to find in Me. So many times we make the mistake of being afraid and and we're like, Lord, what are you going to give Me? And God says, it's not what I can give you. It's not what is found from Me. It is what you find in Me. So many times we're looking for God to provide for us and God to give us things. And God says, I have already given you myself and I am all that you really need. When it comes down to it, possessions, money, relationships, all of those are superficial. What really, what our soul truly thirsts for and longs for is found only in a relationship with God. And God is everything that we need. Because when we lose it all and we have nothing else... We still have God. We still have everything we need. The people asked Jesus, said, Show us the way to heaven. What did Jesus say in John 14? He said, I am the way. The people wanted bread in John chapter 6. Lord, feed us. Give us something to eat. Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. The people wanted to know what truth is. What is truth? What is reality? What can I truly build my life upon? And Jesus says, I am Truth. Everything you need, everything your soul is searching for is found in God. And I believe it was Augustine who said that our souls are restless until they find our rest in thee. Speaking of God. I'm thy shield. Said Abram, you're worried about these kings retaliating? I'm your protector. I'm your shield. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but God is your shield. Nothing can come your way unless God allows it. And if He allows it to come your way, there's a good purpose in the sovereign plan of God. He's your shield. He's your exceeding great reward. Abram was looking for children. He was looking for a land to dwell in. He was looking for all these things. God says, hey Abram, what you're really looking for, you'll find only in me. He's our shield. He's our exceeding great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Don't you love this? God says, I'm giving you all of me. And then Abram says, Lord, what you got to give me? You know, I love just the truthfulness of the Word of God. I love that it's not so pious to skim over the humanity of people in the Word of God. Because how many times do I do the same thing? God gives me these exceeding great precious promises and then I'm like, Lord, what you got to give me? What's in it for me? How can I truly trust you? How can I take you at your word? How can I know that you really mean what you said? What will you give me? Seeing I go childless and this steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Eleazar of Damascus was his eldest servant. And in the days of Abram, the law of Hammurabi, if you ever read 
Mesopotamian history said that if you went childless, all your possessions when you died went to your oldest slave, your oldest servant. And Abram's like, Lord, you've blessed me, but I want a son of my own. I don't want all of my possessions going to this guy who's not even kin to me. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Lord, I've left Hot Tub City, I've left Ur of the Chaldees, I've left it all behind to follow you into this land I've never been to, and you promised a seed, and Lord, it's just not here. I don't have a child yet, and by the way, the missus and I are not getting any younger. But you know what? God had to wait. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says, so that he and Sarah would be good as dead. In other words, they were biologically unable of reproducing. Why? So that God would get the glory. It wouldn't be like, hey, look what I did. I had a, I had a son, finally, out of my own strength. No, God had to get Abram to the end of his ability for God to show off his ability. Sometimes the Lord does that. Sometimes He doesn't answer prayers or come through just when we want Him to. But it'll come in His time to show forth His praise and His glory. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Shut up, Abram, I'm done with you. You've doubted me for the last time, boy, you are done. How many of us would be tempted to say that to Abram? Ain't you glad God deals with us in our moments of doubt, in the moments of our weakness. Now, make no mistake, Abram never faltered in his faith, according to Hebrews 11. He always trusted in God, but there was times when he began to doubt. Sometimes it's been said that doubt is like a foot that's raised up in the air. It can either step forward in belief or step backward in unbelief. Doubt's not always a sin, and God can meet us where we are. He can meet us in our negative emotions. He can meet us in our times of doubt. He meets us where we are. I'm so glad that God is patient and long-suffering with His people because there's been times when I've had doubt. Think of Thomas. I mean, he, was, he doubted the resurrection, didn't he? The Lord met him where he was at. Think of the man who brought his boy to Jesus to be healed. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I still find that there's fear in me. I still find that sometimes I don't trust you like I need to. And I think the same thing can be said of all of us. There's times when we have fear and doubt. But the Lord is faithful to his people. He's faithful to meet us where we are. And the Lord said to him, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Abram, you're going to have a son, a biological son. And the Lord said, brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He said, Abram, look up in the heavens. See if you can count the stars. He said, If you can. If you can give the number, I'm going to give you more children than that. He had already told him in chapter 13 that he said, Look at the grain of sand on the ground. You're going to have more children than that. So whether Abram was looking low to the dirt or whether he was looking high to the heavens, he would always be reminded of the promises of God. The one who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can even ask or think or imagine. And notice in verse 6, he says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This has been said by some Bible scholars to be the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. In fact, Paul, the apostle, 
He quotes this twice. He once in Romans 4 and Galatians 5 and um, the right, uh, James writes about it in um, James chapter 2. So this very passage of Scripture is repeated three times in the New Testament. And it is given as the basis for our salvation. The writer of Romans 4, the Apostle Paul, said, What have we found? What is Abraham in the flesh? What has he found? That he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. He said, that's the way we are saved. We simply believe God. We take God at his word. You know what this means? It means Abraham in Hebrew literally means that he believed the Lord. In other words, he said, Amen to God. He said, Lord, I believe it. You said I was going to have a child even though I'm old. Even though I feel physically decrepit. But yet, I'm going to take you at your word. God said it, and I believe it. And that settles it. He believed in the Lord. He believed God is who He said He is, and He believed that God would do exactly what He said He would do. That's how we are saved, isn't it? No merit, no works of our own to show, because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We simply say yes to the Lord. We believe upon Him. We place our full weight, our full trust upon the finished work of Christ upon Calvary. And we come to Him in repentance. And we say, Lord, I trust You for salvation. I cannot save myself. I'm as Abraham. I'm as good as dead. There's no way I can make the promise of God for salvation come true for myself. Because I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I'm as good as dead. I cannot work it out. I cannot earn it. I cannot be good enough. But Lord, you said you would save me if I would repent, confess my sins, and believe upon you. That's the basis of our salvation. By grace, through faith. Abraham simply took God at his word. What does God say to us this morning? He says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's word to you, God's word to me this morning. Will we take it at face value? Will we believe it? And the Bible says God counted it to him for righteousness. Counted is an, uh, is an accounted term, meaning literally that God deposited into his account. Abraham had no righteousness of his own to speak of. Just as us, we have no righteousness to speak of. The only thing that we have is sin. As Jonathan Edwards says, the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. I have nothing to give, nothing to bring, but simply to the cross I cling. And then what happens? The great trade-off happens. Christ takes all of my sin into Himself. He became sin who knew no sin in order that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's the great trade-off. We were spiritually bankrupt. But when I come to Him in faith, I believe that He is who He says He is. I believe He will do what He says He will do. He takes all of my sin in exchange for all of His righteousness. And He deposits righteousness into my spiritual bank account. He takes off the garment of sin and He clothes me in the garments of His righteousness as Isaiah 61 tells us. Notice when Abraham was justified. Was Abraham justified and declared righteous when he left Ur of the Chaldees? No, he wasn't. He wasn't justified by doing some great feat, by stepping out in faith. 
Abraham wasn't justified when several years later in Genesis 22 he would go to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. No, he wasn't justified then, was he? When was he justified? Right now. In 15.6. That is when Abraham became righteous. When he simply believed God. So many people are trying their best to work their way into heaven. They're trying to impress God. They're trying to earn it. And I found this to be true when I witnessed the people. Maybe you found it to be true as well. They always, always turn the conversation away from them being a desperate sinner in need of salvation to saying, yeah, well, I go to church, or I give to missions, or I've been on a missionary trip, or I've been baptized, or I've got my name on a church roll, and all of those things are good, but none of those things can save us. They are completely unwilling to come unloaded, unclothed, as a, as a desperate sinner, realizing their own depravity and saying, Lord, I believe you and I need you. Why? Because they're unwilling to give up their, their self-righteousness, their self-piety, their, their pride. Abraham was declared righteous when he simply took God at his word. And he was clothed in righteousness. Righteousness can be broken down as being rightness. Being clothed in a right relationship with God. In verse 8, And he said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Here Abraham is with the questions again. How am I going to know that you're actually going to give me this land? And following is a very bizarre passage of Scripture. Very strange. And he said unto him, verse 9, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. What on earth is God telling Abraham to do? First off, it just sounds weird, doesn't it? This sounds so creepy. It sounds bizarre. So you want me to take animals and hack them in two? Think about the squealing and the blood and guts and mess. and I mean, we can get behind passages like, look up into the heavens and look in the stars and that's how your descendants are going to be. Then take this squealing animal and slit its throat and as blood is gushing from its arteries and it is kicking and screaming, this is the covenant that you're making with me? The Bible's very graphic, by the way, if you've never read it before. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is an old covenant. This is what people would do who were making a contract with each other. So nowadays, thank God, we go down to the bank and we sign on the dotted line. But in, the, in those days, when two people, say me and David, made an agreement, we were trading a piece of land or an animal or something, and what we would do, we would take animals and we would cut them in half. This is an ancient ceremony known as the cutting ceremony. That's where we get the phrase cutting a deal. So they would cut them in half. They would make an owl out of the body parts. And then they would grab each other's hands and they would walk through the midst of the animals. That meant that they were deadly serious about the agreement. That meant that they were saying, let this happen to me if I do not uphold my end of the bargain. They were deadly serious about this covenant. But let me tell you, Abraham is fixing to see a shadow of Calvary. A shadow of the ultimate sacrifice. 
a shadow of the perfect blood that was shed as God's covenant to mankind. And Calvary is not a beautiful picture, is it? We sentimentalize the cross and we use it as decorations, but it's bloody and it's brutal. And it shows God's anger towards sin. It shows us what we deserve. It shows us what sin deserves. Not only is it a picture of the immensity, the enormity of the love of God for us, it shows us how bad we were that nothing but the blood of Jesus could wash away our sins. And what Abraham is doing in type, Jesus went through in reality. So he cut the pieces. He made an aisle. And the fowls came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. No doubt the buzzards started circling, seeing the dead meat. Abram's trying his best to shoo the birds away because this is something special and he works himself to exhaustion. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. He was wore out, trying to keep his end of the bargain, wasn't he? And lo, a horror of great darkness. Don't you love the way that's put? A horror of great darkness fell upon him. Where else was there a horror of great darkness? It's upon the cross, wasn't it? For three hours, from 12 noon to 3 p.m., there was darkness over the face of the earth. God's wrath was pouring out upon His Son. There was a horror of darkness upon Him when God was making covenant with man. Abram is exhausted. He's asleep. He's worked himself to death. And now in verse 13, something happens. Abraham's asleep, but God's speaking to him. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. He's saying, Your children, which you haven't had yet, but you're going to, they're going to live in the land of slavery, the land of Egypt, for over four hundred years, but... Take heart, because I'm going to deliver them. We see that played out in Moses' life in the book of Exodus. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and be buried in a good old age. Then the fourth generation they shall come out again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. Notice this. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. God came down. God walked the aisle. God sealed the deal. God made the covenant. What was Abraham doing? Abraham's asleep. God's given him all of these exceeding precious promises. You're going to have a seed. They're going to go into, into captivity, but I'm going to deliver them. They're going to come out with great substance. They're going to be wealthy. They're going to be a multitude. What's Abraham doing? He's asleep. He doesn't make any promises. He doesn't promise to be a good little boy. God doesn't give him these promises based on Abraham's performance or his own righteousness or his own goodness. He didn't say, Abram, if you say your prayers at night, then I'm going to bless you. He didn't say, if you, if you take me at my word and then you offer so many sacrifices, then I'm going to bless you. No, Abram's not doing nothing. He's sawing logs. He's making Z's. God's fulfilling the covenant. Remember, this cutting ceremony was for both parties to walk hand in hand through the aisle saying, so let this happen to me if I do not uphold my end of the deal. But Abraham's not able to do it, is he? Why? Because he's not able to do it.
anything anyway. He can't have any children. It would take a miracle for him to have children. And a miracle is what he got. So what's, what are we saying here? God is making the promises. God is upholding his end of the bargain when we can't. Salvation is a work of God and God alone. I can try my best to shoo the fowls away, but guess what? I'm going to exhaust myself. I can try my, my best to be a good person, to come to church, to read my Bible, to live righteously, but guess what? I still fall, and I fall over in a horror of great darkness. I fall asleep. I collapse. My efforts turn in on themselves, and I'm like, man, I'm just, I can't do it. So many people become so disenfranchised with religion and with church because they're trying to do it on their own. They're not trusting in the work of God, what's been done for them. They're trying to do it on their own. But we must all come to the place where we collapse in on ourselves and we come humbly, cast ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I'm trusting in you and you alone and what you can do. So God walked this path alone. He did what Abraham couldn't do. Can I tell you, the same thing is true with our covenant with the Lord. He came to us when we couldn't come to Him. When we were asleep, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, unable to save ourselves, He came to us. When we were unable to fulfill our end of the bargain, when we were unable to live the righteous life God requires, what did Jesus do? He came and He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And then what did He do? He walked through the horror of great darkness. He walked to Calvary's hill alone by himself. And he paid the price. He died the death that we deserve to die. So what is God saying to Abram? He's saying, I will die before I let my word, my promises go unfulfilled to you. And he did just that, didn't he? He proved that he is a man of his word. He proved his goodness to us. He proved his faithfulness by going to the cross. So if he did all of that, if he has left heaven, if he gave his only son for us, that's the greatest thing. Don't you know he's going to come through for everything else? The cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love and God's faithfulness to mankind. And when we couldn't uphold our end of the deal, when we couldn't do what was required of us, He came and did what we could not do for ourselves. He alone walked through the pieces. He alone shed His blood. He alone made the promises. He alone makes those promises come to pass through salvation, through entering into covenant of blood, the blood of His Son with mankind. Then what happens? Abraham wakes up and there's barbecue around because what happens? God comes down in a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Now theologians theorize what these actually mean. But whenever we see of smoking furnaces, fire, heat, usually speaks of judgment, doesn't it? So God's judgment was poured out upon Christ when He was making His covenant of blood with us. Abram wakes up and all the meat that he, had, that he had cut is now scorched. God came down in judgment. God came down in a burning lamp showing his faithfulness to his word. And now he makes another promise. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Then he lists all the Canaanites. From the Nile to the Euphrates is to be Abram's possession. 300,000 square miles, God promises him. 
All of that land does not currently belong to Israel, but it will when Christ returns, because God is a man of His Word. Abram was worried about children. God said, I'm going to give you so many children, you ain't even going to be able to count them. Abram's worried about land and possessions. God says, look from the Nile to the Euphrates, it's all yours. God gave Abram more than he could ever even ask for. And so much more than that. God promised him that through his seed, all the earth would be blessed. And who is that seed? That seed, according to Genesis 3.15, is Jesus Christ, who came from the lineage of Abraham. And it's through that promised seed, through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth are blessed. That's the reason why we as Gentiles are sitting here enjoying salvation, because the seed of Abraham came, Jesus Christ, and through him all the nations of the earth get to hear the gospel. The gospel is for every man, woman, child. It's for everybody. And Abram was justified when he looked forward to that seed. Jesus said of Abram, he said, He looked forward to my day. He saw it by faith. He embraced it. So just as Abram was justified when he looked forward to the seed, to the cross, we too are justified by looking back to the cross. I want to ask you, have you let God make that covenant with you? Landing the plane, coming to a conclusion. Are you trying to hold up your end of the deal? Are you working yourself to death like Abraham? Are you trusting in Christ's finished work? Do you, have you come to the realization that only God can save you? That He can do what you never could do for yourself? And have you believed Him for that He is who He says He is, that He will do exactly what He said He would do if you trusted Him for righteousness? As John Bunyan said, when I get to the gate of the city, speaking of heaven, I'm not going to worry about the Master recognizing me because it's His coat that I'm wearing. Because He stripped me of my rags and He clothed me in His righteousness. It's going to recognize me because I'm wearing His Son's coat. I'm wearing the righteousness of Christ. Have you trusted Him? Have you surrendered all to Him? Are you clothed in His righteousness this morning? Are you trying to handle everything yourself? Has He become your shield, your great reward? Have you found everything you're ever looking for in Him, in Christ alone? If not, this altar is open. Come and repent. Come and surrender to Him. Come and trust His covenant with you. Come trust that He is everything that He says He is, and He will do everything He said He would do, and that is He will save you. He will take you to heaven to be with Him. That's His promise. If there's any loss, this altar is open. Thank you so much for letting me come and share the Word with you this morning. I hope it meant something. I hope you got something out of it. I thank God for His Word. I thank God for His faithfulness. Thank God for the seed of Abraham, that I can be blessed, you can be blessed. The whole earth can be blessed because of the gospel.